It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.07 at News Talk WSB, 77 degrees outside already at 6 a.m. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be another hot day outside. Get your gardening done this morning because I think this afternoon I'm going to take a pass on being outside. I had my had my little, uh, I say little, they're 13 years old, but I had two twins from down the street mowing lawns yesterday for me and thinking, oh, boy. <laughs> You couldn't pay me. I'm an old person. I don't like to sweat and get hot and nasty outside, but these little boys, they do the job. They do a great job, and I'm appreciative of that. So you can mow in the dark. If you turn the lights on your on your car on and run it across the uh, front of the yard, you can put your lawnmower on, and you can mow your lawn in the dark. It's fine. Nobody cares except your neighbors. Yeah, don't worry about it. 404-872-0750, the number on Lawn and Garden. If you have a question about anything in the outdoor world, whether it be bugs or flowers, lawns, shrubs, trees, houseplants, organic gardening, pest-free gardening, synthetic gardening, whatever you want to do. If you have a question about how or what or when or what for, give me a call. 404-872-0750. One of the things that I've been thinking about this week is that the heat and the effect that the heat will have on tomatoes. And you don't really think about that, but when you have nighttime temperatures above 70, certainly above 75, it is the nighttime temperature that has the effect on a tomato. Not date, well, uh, daytime temperatures too, but it's the nighttime temperatures that allow a tomato plant, as well as a fescue plant in your lawn, to recover from the stress that they have during the hot part of the day previously. And so if you have a really hot night, 70, 75 degrees, and you don't give the tomato or the fescue a chance to recover, then that's when the tomato stops ripening, when tomatoes stop pollinating, when fescue starts declining, when all the problems that you maybe didn't anticipate happening because of heat, when they start happening. I mean, certainly on fescue lawns, you think, well, we need to water, but the purpose of the watering is not only to replenish the moisture in the in the tissue of the plant, to some extent watering cools it off. When you have plenty of water in the ground when the hot part of the day starts, around 12 or 1 p.m., then the water starts evaporating from the soil and that evaporation cools the grass blades so it helps to protect them. And then at night, the nighttime temperatures, you certainly don't want to be watering at night to cool off the to cool off the soil for fescue then because you exacerbate diseases. So if you water at night, you got problems, but you still need somehow to have cool soil for fescue to be comfortable. And there's not much you can do when nature gives you what we've got today, 20 or 20 more degrees to go, right? It's 77 degrees right now. And so we've got a lot more to go today. So think about the effect of heat, not only on you, but also on your plants. One of the things that um, golf course owners do, and if you play golf, you know this uh, from experience, but one of the things that the golf course managers do is called syringing. 
and syringing means during the day they go out onto the uh, greens and put a very light application of water. It's barely enough to, to wet the ground, wet the grass, but what it does is give the, the grass a chance to evaporate the moisture, which cools things off, which is how bent grass and bluegrass and some of the other exotic grasses are used on the greens and golf courses around here. They syringe it regularly during the day, nothing that a homeowner would want to do. They have special nozzles that go out there and walk across them and syringe, 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 cool things off allows the uh, play to continue after it dries for a few minutes. So if you have not thought about the effect of heat on your plants, that is one of the effects. Heat at night, heat during the day, in both cases can be something that plants have a very hard time dealing with. One more time, 404-872-0750. We come down to our first caller of the morning. Who would it be? Who would it be? Who would it be? I that is Spalding County. Our friend Nicole. Nicole, good morning. Mr. Reeves. Miss Nicole. Hey, good morning. Uh, it's hot, but you see, um, I find out that uh, whatever you wear, as a, uh, cotton's going to absorb you, your moisture and mm-hmm. keep you cool, isn't it? I still, you know, Nicole, I have, I have read, I've researched this. I went online to see why. Some of the workers that I see out doing hard, heavy labor during the day wear long sleeve shirts and hoods over their head. And there is some justification for wearing long sleeves with cotton that evaporate the moisture off of your skin. To me, that's just, <laughs> it's not the way I was raised. I was raised to have a short sleeve t-shirt on, a cotton t-shirt on, but not long sleeves and certainly not a hood over my head. But there are workers who swear by this, who say that's the way to stay cool. Maybe oh, yeah. Imagine doing roofing this time of year. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I have done roofing in this time of weather. Um, I had a little rental house back oh, 20 years ago, I guess, and the roof on it had uh, failed in a big area, and I thought, well, man, I've got to replace the whole side of the roof here. And I remember going through easily, easily two or three gallons of water. I would just drink constantly while I was on the roof. I'd get off the roof and stay in the shade for 10 or 15 minutes, and I worked all day long, but thinking to myself, boy, this is hot. How do these guys do it every day? Yeah. I have a a, a bucket of cold water when I get out of the house. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I put my two feet in it. Oh, boy, it's just refreshing big time. So you put your feet in it, Nicole? Yes. Every time before, I never wear shoes inside the house, Uh but I was picking up blueberries yesterday and watered them, and boy, I used the water hose on my feet big time. (laughs) Feet and the head. (laughs) Both ends of your body to cool yourself off. Yeah, it makes sense. I like to talk about, you're nice enough to answer our question every Saturday morning. I like to talk about your border. 70 feet of it. Well, 70 feet of it. Some of it looking a little dry right now, Nicole. I didn't. I never got around to doing the drip irrigation last weekend like I thought I would. Maybe, maybe this weekend. But I did water a couple of times during the week. And when did you start it? What's in it? Pardon. Say again. When did you start it? And oh, what's man. in it? This 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 border has been a work in progress for. <laughs> 20 years. It's got various kinds of, there's a, there's a hydrangea. What is the name of that hydrangea? It has the red flowers, the pink flowers. I've forgotten now, but there's one hydrangea at the end that I really like the flowers on it a lot. And then in between, 
you know, it's whatever I see at Pike that I think, oh, that would be nice. I'll put that out there and we'll see how it works. And some uh, Siberian iris, I'm going to go down the way. And then there's the uh, false indigo, the Baptisia, and there's a couple of grasses, uh, the uh, Miscanthus, and then there's Japanese Spirea. And then beyond that, there's a little rose. And it got bigger and bigger every year. Yeah, bigger and bigger and differenter uh-huh. and differenter every year. Because, again, I sometimes don't take care of my plants purposely. Sometimes it's laziness, but sometimes I think, I wonder what would happen if I let that plant dry out. Shasta daisy is a good example of that. I never water my Shasta daisy. And I sometimes see Shasta daisy beds that are just gorgeous, covered in white flowers, and it's beautiful. And I think, man, if that... You know, I would love to water mine, but I've just decided that I'm going to let the Shasta daisies do what they want to do. And uh, sometimes they don't look as good as they should. The Japanese anemones, I have at another end of the bed. I have five ends of the bed, it sounds like. But <laughs> close to the other end of the bed, I have Japanese anemones. They never need watering, and they always have good-looking leaves. And then in the fall, in August, I guess it is, is when the pink flowers come on Japanese anemone, and they just look great. So they're a plant that I've learned from my experience, never needs water. Yeah, location, 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 isn't it? Yeah, right. And sometimes just the adaptability of the plant itself. And that is why gardeners like to talk to each other, because you and I and other gardeners talk to each other and say, how has this plant done for you? What does this one um, behave like in your particular situation? And you may find a plant that you hadn't thought of that make a nice uh, addition to a border or a bed or something like that, and that your neighbor might even give you pieces and parts of to start in your in your location. So. And we are so eager to learn from each other and yeah, listen exactly, because exactly. experience, you know. Gardeners who, are, who meet each other for the first time almost immediately swap into that particular bit of conversation, you know, where are you from, where do you live, that sort of thing first, maybe. But at a party, if you have two people who are gardeners and they learn about each other, uh, that they are gardeners, they'll almost immediately say, well, what's doing good for you now? What looks good in your garden now? Because you're thinking, I will learn something. I'm going to get that in my garden now. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a chemistry, um, uh, chemistry um, attraction, too, isn't it? Yeah, I think that gardeners sometimes smell each other. <laughs> sometimes they can yeah. smell each other. <laughs> Psychologically, sometimes gardeners can uh, sort of feel like they, they know who the other person is before they even really know much factual about them. Yeah, like you, Nicole, I know something about you, and what it says is you are a gardener. And we have uh, talked to each other for these several many years and uh, have learned a lot about gardening and learned a lot about plants from each other. And we're just uh, really adaptable people. We never mean because we yeah. take our anger on plants or IV. And we put ice on our feet and on our heads, and that makes us a better person. (laughs) (laughs) i got to get out of here, Nicole. It's great talking to you, my friend. Enjoy your day. See you soon. 404-872-0750 is the number. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. And Scott says this morning's made for getting in the garden, and this afternoon's made for frying eggs on the sidewalk. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Man, it's going to be hot this afternoon. Mid-90s, 30% chance of an afternoon shower. 
Partly cloudy skies pretty much all day long, but it's not going to really cool things off. Mid-70s overnight. For full, in-depth new coverage of the weather, you get it every 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Eric is out in Bogart, Georgia. Eric joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Eric. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? All right, Eric. What you need? Just recently moved to Bogart. Got a new house. Uh, my wife and I are downsizing and... Uh, they put uh, Bermuda sod in the front yard and uh, unwisely, I guess, put uh, winter rye in the back. Yeah, so uh, I got a big bucket in the back. Hmm. Uh, I want to put down Bermuda seed and wanted to see what, what's the latest I can put it down and should I cultivate back there? If, if you had just moved in a new house and had uh, dirt in the backyard, what would you do? <laughs> it's a dangerous question, Eric. Uh, oh, oh, wait, and you're on a budget. I, I should have that. <laughs> you know, there's so many things. How long ago did you move in, Eric? Uh, maybe two months ago. And you don't have enough on your mind right now, and you're still thinking about the, the lawn in the backyard. You're pretty pretty stalwart then <laughs> to be able well, to accomplish moving in and then now thinking about the, the backyard. Is it full sun or shade, or what's the condition? It's uh, it's partial sun. We actually are on a property that's uh, kind of pie shaped, and it has uh, tall pine trees around the edges of the backyard, around the perimeter. So it does get some daytime morning shade and afternoon shade. Yeah, but uh, pretty open too. So I think Bermuda should do fine. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna let the question lie about what would Walter do. I'll tell you what you should do. All right, in your case, Eric, if you okay. want to have Bermuda back there, there's plenty of time, plenty of time to plant Bermuda seed now and get it to come up and look pretty nice by fall. The real question is, can you water? And that is going to be the determinant of success or failure. Is can you water? And it'll be just about every day mm-hmm. for the next easily three weeks, probably three to four weeks, maybe. Can you do that? Mm. I travel a lot. I'll be out of town next week. Yeah. Uh, You know, there's a part of me that says just leave whatever's there, there, and not worry about anything. And frankly, you could plant ryegrass again in the fall and make it look green and pretty over the wintertime and then arrange your schedule. And again, Bermuda can be planted around the first first of June each year when it's nice and warm. So you could wait till the first of June next year Arrange your schedule so you're not out of town in June, so you got the water available, and then then you can go on vacation for a few days, maybe take, get somebody else to take care of it. I don't okay. know that right now is the time that I would be planting fat Bermuda seed. I just That's think it's way hot. It. That makes sense. Um, now, okay, let's say I wait till next June. How would I prep the soil uh, to make sure that those seeds have the best uh, opportunity? Man, I got you know I'm up against the hard break at the end for news. Tell you what, Eric, go to my website at walterreeves.com and just type Bermuda seed. That's all you have to do in the search line. It'll take you to the to the article. That tells you exactly what you need to do. I got to get out of here, Eric. Thanks for calling though. 404-872-0750, The number. We'll be back after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 
636 at News Talk WSB 77 degrees outside. It hasn't even gotten down to 72 that you would think is a normal temperature for people. This is the energy-saving temperature that you should put your thermostat on inside the house. It should be this warm for the rest of the day, if not a degree warmer, to save some energy outside. 95 this afternoon is the projected forecast. Ay, 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 ay. If you got a question about what you could or what maybe what you need an excuse for not doing, I'm happy to provide excuses for not doing anything that you choose not to do in your in your landscape. If you need something to tell your spouse that you would just rather not get around to because Walter said, give me a call, 404-872-0750. Ron's out in Royston and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, man. Hey, Ron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So? Uh, I, got, I got a kind of an issue that I am... Um don't know if I'm doing something right. I bought some um, I bought some plants, some beef steak tomatoes, and they're only growing about the size of your thumb, and huh. uh, they've been like that for months. Huh. How are you fertilizing, Ron? Uh, actually, I went out and uh, they're in a raised garden, and I bought a um, a bunch of potting soil, um, just like regular gardening. Yeah. Potting soil. Yeah. And uh, I, I kind of transplanted them. Um, they were really, really teeny tiny, and um, but I mean they're not doing anything. Yeah, today. but how, how have you fertilized? Is the question. What kind of plant food do you put on them? I, I, I just whatever you can buy at Home Depot. I mean, it's just uh, the it will be the gallon um, um, fertilizer that you just sprinkle into the dirt. Okay. That's all I've been doing. All right. About how often do you do it? Every week, every three weeks, every, what do you think? Uh, probably about every month. They've, they've been they've been there for, uh, I know, since uh, since May. Yeah. And, uh, I just haven't done much of anything. No, no. The only time that I really even get to water them is uh, um, I, I, work, I work nights, and when I come in, I water them in the morning. Yeah. Um, but uh, my question is, is I, you know, do you think I might be watering too much? I water every single morning, and I saturate them pretty good. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you could be. Yeah, it's sort of an it's an art and a science at the same time to grow tomatoes. And I know that some people grow tomatoes like it's just falling off a log. They can grow tomatoes, great big tomatoes, give them away to everybody at church, no problem. They seem to be <laughs> tomato <true>. genius. <laughs> And then sometimes people like you and me, we struggle a little bit with our tomatoes, Ron. Yeah. And the watering for tomatoes should be gauged on how damp the soil stays for two, two days in a row. It needs to dry out. And if you're watering every morning, that sounds to me like the soil could be pretty soggy most of the time. If that's true, yes, that will limit the growth of tomatoes because the roots just never get a chance to breathe. And when roots don't breathe, they inhibit growth at the top of the plant. So my bet is there's a combination of a couple of things here. One is the soil itself. Is that real organic sort of water-retentive soil that's good for house plants, and sometimes it's good for outdoor plants, but it needs to be mixed in with the regular you know, outdoor soil so it drains a little bit faster than it would out of, by itself right out of the bag. So my wow. guess is there's a little bit too much water each day, and the water and the soil itself is holding so much water that it's inhibiting the growth of the plant in total. That is why I think Ron is not getting so much growth on his yeah, tomato plant. I, I think the biggest problem that, that, that 
that I've been doing is, um, like you said, it's probably been watering too much because I'm not really 100% sure exactly how to grow tomatoes. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, when I put all the dirt down and I, I made my raised ground bed, I didn't do anything to the soil underneath, and it's it's pretty much hard red clay. And yeah, yeah. See some of the potting soil that I put down that runs out underneath the wood uh, that I have around my you know uh, area there. Yeah, that, that paints me a pretty good picture, Ron. And I think I think what 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 I would do now is to go out and. I don't know if I'd dig those tomatoes up and replant them, but that is a consideration. If you wanted to do that, you could dig them up and replant them in the same bed, but with mixing a little bit, if you can, with the uh, the top soil that you have, the bag soil with this red clay underneath. And on your watering, like I said, try to let it dry out a little bit between. Like every two or three days is when you should water. Saturate it when you do water. But use your finger to go in, or a trowel maybe, to go in underneath the tomato plant and dig the soil. And if it seems reasonably moist after a day or two, then hold off on watering for day three, maybe even day four, depending on how the rain comes. Because I just think that the too much water and too much water-retentive soil there is really the problem. Ron, thanks so much for calling. we got to go because we got other people in line, including Anthony in Woodstock. Anthony, hey man, join us on Lawn and Garden. How are you this morning? I'm well, my friend. How can I help? Well, someone gave me some tomatoes yesterday that grown in the container. Yeah. And they told me that they put mothballs in the container to keep squirrels away. Yeah. And the more I thought about that, the more I didn't want to eat the tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that was a good idea. Yeah, I think you are smarter than your neighbor, <laughs> Anthony, because you're exactly right. Mothballs are... A, not recommended ever for pest control. And I know, you know, probably people who have said, oh, put mothballs in the attic to keep squirrels out, put mothballs in the chipmunk holes to get the chipmunks to move away and things like that. But mothballs are not effective, number one. I mean, that's the main reason not to use them. And number two, they're not labeled for use as an animal repellent because they've never been checked out for safety. And safety is what we really worry about when you're putting them around your edible plants. So, no, I wouldn't. Take that guy's advice and throw it away. You don't need that. I'll give them to the squirrels. Yeah, if the squirrels want to take them and put them in their nest, that's fine. They can have all, this, all, all the mothballs they want, but don't put them near your tomatoes. Great. I, I had an idea that was the answer I was going yeah. to get. Yeah, that's it. All right. Thank you. Anthony, thanks for calling. Bye-bye. There's more than one person who's told me that mothballs repel snakes and mothballs, again, squirrels out of the attic and things like that. Mothballs do not work. You can take that to the bank. They do not repel animals. There's enough airflow that the smell of the mothball is not very repellent in the first place. And in an outdoor situation, in a container like Anthony had, or in a, even in an attic where you've got ventilation in the attic, and air coming in and going out, there's just not enough uh, smell there to really affect the animal. What it can do, what mothballs can do, is distinctly affect the breathing of people who have compromised uh, lungs, and that includes babies and old folks. If you have any kind of breathing problem and you start smelling just a little bit of mothball in the in the atmosphere where you're trying to breathe in the nursery or in your uh, room at home and you have a compromised lung situation, then mothballs can really, really deteriorate the condition of your lungs. So we do not use, we do not recommend, nobody says it has any sense that mothballs have any effect on repelling animals, and they are dangerous to use also.
Got it. All right. Sue. Sue, 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 Sue. Sue's up in Dunwoody and joins us on Good Lonely morning, Garden. Walter. Hey, Sue. We went to Cuba with you, and oh, now yes. my husband thinks you're the smartest guy around. Wow. <laughs> I think he thinks you're pretty smart, but I'm not sure he thinks I'm pretty smart. Well, here's the question. We have yes, a very small patch of zoysia lawn. Yep. It's in great shape. Um, it's perfect. He mows it with a real a push reel mower. Wow, what a man! I know that's what that's what the neighbors say. Um, and right now in the drought, I keep telling him that Walter says leave it longer in drought. Yeah. So he's leaving it at about an inch and a half. He really thinks it should be mowed shorter. What do you think? I think that in the spring and the fall, shorter makes sense. But I think you and I are in agreement that a little bit higher makes more sense in the summertime. It really does. It cools the soil. Mm-hmm. It makes the zoysia a lot happier to be a little bit higher. I recognize it looks a little bit um, tufty is not quite the word I'm looking for. It's but not it can, quite as neat and clean. Yeah, not quite as neat and clean. You got it. That's it. So, and yeah. so, uh, just explain to him that Walter still stands by his <laughs> advice a little bit high. Not only okay. for zoysia, this is for fescue, Bermuda, centipede, all the rest of the grasses. And my little guys from down the street who do the mowing in my lawn. We did a little ceremonial raising of the mower height of the mower when they did for me yesterday because I said, my St. Augustine, a little bit higher, is going to make it a lot happier here. Gotcha. So, so yeah. inch and a half is probably okay. Inch and a half, yeah, and then it becomes a discussion between you two about uh, what you know what the look looks like. Gotcha. But higher than normal is probably better than lower than normal okay. or even normal. Very good answer. Thank you. Do you hear the story, Sue, about we're not going to Cuba this October? No. Y'all hit it right. Well, you know, I think I did see that on your website. Yeah. Maybe something came through. Yeah, it was just, just too chaotic, too crazy uh-huh. in, in Cuba. The hotels are double booking, triple booking. The guides, there's no guides available to speak of. The uh, buses and transportation is just all, everybody's using them because there's so many Americans coming down there. And so we've decided we're not going to Cuba until we can guarantee we'll have a nice trip like we you do. You know, we really did kind of bet that it could be one of the last. Uh, kind of unadulterated yeah. trips. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we hit it right. Thank we hit you. it right. <laughs> Tell them okay. all we said, hey, Sue. Thanks for I calling. Will. Thanks. Bye. 404 750 is the number. I think we can, poke. yeah, we can do this. Pam, if you'll be really quick, we'll get you in here and you'll be out of the way and done for the morning. Hey, Pam. Hey, good morning. Can you hear me? Thank you. You're perfect, Pam. How can Great. I help? I live in Williamson, Georgia, where it's very dry right now, and I wanted to establish a new flower bed. So it's 45 feet long, and I took a soaker hose, and I laid it out in the area that I thought I wanted my plants to grow. Yeah. So I dug holes where the soaker hose would go. Then I put mulch on top. Should I have put the soaker hose on top of the mulch? No. Or blow it like I've done? You did it perfectly. The reason wow. the reason you do not put it on top of the mulch is because mulch absorbs a good bit of water. I mean that's sort of obvious to, to the to the naked eye. If you turn on the soaker hose and run it for thirty minutes, it will soak the mulch first and then the water gradually trickles into the soil underneath. But in your case, if you put the hose down first, mulch on top, the only downside of that is you need to pull the mulch away every once in a while just to make sure the hose is working and the soil gets saturated and it's doing what it's supposed to. But beyond that, yeah, soaker hose under mulch is exactly what you do. And besides that, the hose is ugly. Come on, put the mulch on top. Yes, I do occasionally take a little trowel and dig a hole at the very end of the soaker hose uh-huh. to see, but I'm afraid that some of my 
flowers in the initial part are getting too much water because I have lantana, and they're only eight or nine inches tall, and they should be just... They should be huge by yeah, now, and they get be. full sun, so I must be overwatering them. Well, this is another place where sometimes you just have to get down on your hands and knees and dig and see what's going I'll on. I'll do that. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Drive safely, Pam. We'll see you soon. Thank you. It's 647. You're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Another summer day here in Atlanta. Plenty of heat, plenty of humidity. Afternoon temperatures in the mid-90s with partly cloudy skies. 30% chance of an isolated shower. Please, Lord, let it come to my house. Overnight, similar conditions remain with low temperatures into the mid-70s. 76 degrees right now. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. James in Duluth comes in right this very minute on News 95.5. Hey, James, good morning. Hey, this hey. is Gene. Yes, sir. Good What's night, on your mind, James? Guy. Uh, just asking, some ladies were asking me about hydrangeas, drying them. They say, oh, I cut these and put them in there, and the next thing I know, they're dry. I cut these and put them in, yeah. and they they rot. So mm. is there a certain stage to pick them or certain varieties that dry so much easier? I don't know about certain varieties, but I'll give you a couple of tricks that people tell me work really well for them. Um, okay. One of them is to pick the flower when it is first in its bluest or pinkest or whatever color you have form. In other words, don't wait seven days to think it's going to get any bluer or any pinker. When it looks like it's fully formed and the color uh -huh. is there in the petals, that's the day you cut it. Cut it in the morning. Okay. Cut it in the morning before the sun has hit it because you want the, the moisture to be in the petals pretty moist. Uh, we want the petals to be pretty moist when you start the drying process, and they look better when the drying is finished. Huh. And the way okay. that people have told me that it works great for them is to get a cardboard box, oddly enough, to get a cardboard box, a big one, and make slits in the two, the lid, the cardboard lid on the cardboard box so that you can Take the stems and put them upside down. You put the slide the stems oh, okay, into the okay. slits Hanging in the box. Down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you put that in a dry place that's outdoors, like your carport or in your garage, not inside your house where it's cool, but someplace where you have natural humidity but some heat on them. And they say that check it every couple of days, and more than likely it'll dry out within a week or so, and they'll be pretty nice, sort of a light pink or a light blue. And you can use it for arrangements for another couple of months. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Somebody said she had some in a vase, and then went out and they were dry. She had them in water. Yeah. And they dried, and she's had them a couple of years. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. And so you keep wondering why. What's the difference? And then the, the next ones you have in water, and they shrivel up and yeah. kind of rot. Yeah, it's hard to explain why they would do in some cases in the vase, but you're right. I've seen people's uh, hydrangeas, dried hydrangeas that have been in the vase and dried very nicely there, but it's sort of the combination of moisture in the in the petals and humidity and heat and things like that. You put them all together, but the way that my friends tell me works best most consistently for them is using the cardboard box. Okay, good. Thank you. All right, good luck with it then, James. Like it look pretty. You can use those, those hydrangeas, those dried flowers for a good long while. By the way, 
In the next uh, top of the next hour, I'm going to talk about how to prune hydrangeas at this time of year. And this is exactly, this is exactly the weekend, heat though it is, hot though it's going to be outside, that you should prune your hydrangeas. The pink and the blue hydrangeas is the one I'm talking about. I went yesterday to a, a store over in Emory and saw in front of the store they had a bunch of what are called PG, the paniculata hydrangeas, panicle hydrangeas. They're not the same as the mop heads that everybody's familiar with. They're not the same as the oak leaf. They're called panicle hydrangeas. And they were alive with bees and pollinators. They were just all over these flowers. And I thought to myself, that is one great reason besides the fact that they bloom in the middle of the summertime and look great. These panicle hydrangeas, I'm sure Pike has a good selection of them, but panicle hydrangeas are really friendly for pollinating insects. So if you have a chance and you want to plant something interesting that blooms in the middle of the hot summertime and still looks great, pretty flowers, panicle hydrangeas, many of them referred to as the PG hydrangeas. And I'll tell you more about how to prune hydrangeas right at the top of the next hour. Okay, got that? 6.57 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news. Can bring the rain?